following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Absurd Psychology, straight answers without all the bull. Your host is Dr. Gary Bell. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and he'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome to Absurd Psychology. This is Dr. Gary Bell. We're going to talk about childhood mental issues, Prozac moments. Now, Bill Cosby had a great quote. He said, parents are not interested in justice. They're interested in quiet. (laughs) Things you may have told your children. If you pee in the pool, the water turns red. If you pee in the shower, it comes out the shower head. Here's some other things you may have told your children. To get a kid to be potty trained in Southern California, you tell them you don't, uh, that Disneyland does not allow kids with diapers. <laughs> so, you can't be a hairstylist until you get a college degree, or if you swallow your gum, you will fart bubbles. And one last one is all, car- ter- all cartoon characters work for food. If you don't eat what's on your plate, they will and get off work for the day. So we're going to dive into this very diverse topic. Um, Obviously, there is a plethora of childhood disorders. I'm not going to be able to cover every single one on this call, especially the more organic disorders like mental retardation. However, we're going to be able to dive in and really get to know a lot of disorders that affect parenting styles. And some of the things that we will talk about will be able to help, uh, you know, Down syndrome and and also mental retardation. But uh, we're going to cover as much as I can in this hour. So anyway, let's go into it. Um, Let's talk about attention deficit hyperactive disorder. Now, this comes in three ingredients. When one is inattentive, inattentive, that means that their brain is busy on the inside. They're just not running around like they're, you know, a gerbil in a cage. They're basically simply very busy on the inside. Their brain is preoccupied. Also, there is the hyperactive type, which is the minority of uh, attention deficit disorder uh, children. And that is the ones that are running around like crazy and they can't seem to sit down or stay calm. And then there's also another one, and that is the combined type, which is also the inattentive and the hyperactive, where they're both. They're both can't pay attention, and they're hyperactive. Now, this disorder is highly treatable in many regards. Uh, You just have to get an understanding of it. And it it may be actually just like autism. It may be the most overdiagnosed childhood disorder. It may just be, and a lot of kids live in an unstructured home or they live with one parent or they're latchkey children and they're left to their own devices 
And that also shows itself as ADHD. So, you know, a lot of people blame it on ADHD, but the fact is it could also be just parenting and the fact of the lack thereof. Now, the hyperactive, they're all over the place and they can't sit down. And, and the combined type, you just can't seem to get a handle on them. They just go crazy. And attentive, once again, is busy on the inside, preoccupied with their own ideas, but not attuned to what's going on in the outside world. Now, linear thinkers is what ADHD is. And what linear means is they think in a line. They think in a straight line. So if you think about uh, activities that they love to do, one of them would be video games. Video games, you go into the game and you're headed on a line and you basically stay on that line and they love that kind of stuff. They're terrible multitaskers. They can't do several things at the same time. They have to do one thing and it's usually one thing that they like and they're emotionally engaged in at the same time. You know, the sports that are like a straight line are also very good for them. Uh, things like swimming, track, uh, anything that is golf, anything that basically goes one way and uh, bowling and is something that they are not dependent on other teammates for, they tend to thrive in. Um, you know, you they don't do team interaction because these kind of kids are very defensive and very sensitive. And so what they do is they're very social, but that is a defense mechanism so they can control the room. What they basically do is become the class clown and they do that in order to get everybody's attention so they can control the room because that's how they feel safe. However, you know, the deal is, is that putting them in a, like a team sport, that means that they're going to have to interact with a whole lot of kids and those relationships can be very challenging. These kind of kids don't have a lot of best friends. As a matter of fact, it's very rare for them to have a best friend. Generally, they have a lot of what I would call homies, friends that are I do this, I go to the movies with this friend, I play with this friend at this certain part of the playground, I do this other activity with this friend, but they don't have one that just kind of lingers with them throughout the day or throughout their life. They do sometimes have one or two, especially if it's a relative or it's a next door neighbor and they're just bored all the time and they end up spending a lot of time with them. However, that's kind of a forced thing for them, it's not natural. Naturally, they like to migrate just to several different people. Now, if you think about a hyperactive disorder child, here's the deal. It is genetic. It is genetic in every sense of the word. There are 32 common genes in the human being. One of those genes was necessary for the survival of mankind, and that is called the hunter-gatherer gene. That particular gene, 70% of our population are gatherers, 30% of our population are hunters. Hunters are ADHD, attention deficit hyperactive disorder children. These hunters, these kids, what they do and what they're designed to do is hunt, especially when they're young. That's why this disorder is pervasive from seven years old up until about 12 to 14 years old because genetically those were the kids in the tribe that would hunt they were the fastest they were the most they were in the best shape uh, and they could catch the creatures they could catch the food for the tribe and then the gatherers would do the rest because they were terrible at being tribal members that participate in helping others they're more 
efficient at hunting. And so that's something that if anyone were to get in the way of an activity of an ADHD child, they would know that they throw enormous temper tantrums because they're engaged in hunting activity. And anybody that's being interrupted when they're chasing a buffalo or chasing a deer or whatever, they're going to be very upset. And that's how these kids are. Once they get on an engaged emotional mission, they don't tend to want to get off of it. They um, also, you know, you'll notice an ADHD kid, uh, they don't like to sit in the middle of a room or in the front of a room, especially in a classroom. They need to watch the herd. They stay back. They like to sit in the, if they, if you put them in a place where they naturally want to be, they would sit in a booth in a restaurant or sit in the back to watch all the other kids. And the reason they do that is because they don't feel safe in the front and they are hyper, hypersensitive. Rarely are you going to find ADHD kids wearing glasses. Most often, their hearing is impeccable. And that is because they're designed to be able to hunt. And so they're hyper, hypersensitive. And so if you stick an ADHD kid, which they're often are put there in the front row, they're going to go stir crazy because all these kids are behind them and they're talking and they're, they're distracted by what's going on behind them. So that technique, I don't agree with necessarily, but a lot of teachers do it. Sometimes it helps, sometimes it doesn't, but truly it goes against the instinct of an ADHD kid. Um, once again, restaurants, if you want a kid to misbehave that's ADHD, stick them in the middle of the restaurant and see how they act. If you put them in a booth, you're going to find they're going to find a way to be a little bit more preoccupied and behave better. You know, these kids up to 100 years were necessary. They were necessary to the survival of our human race. Without them, we would not have survived. But now we have grocery stores. Now we have places to shop and we don't need hunters. And, you know, what's scary is, is we sit these little hunters in a classroom and we expect them to perform as good as the gatherers. And that's not going to happen. It's just not in the cards because that's not how they're designed. These kids oftentimes are late bloomers. They, they come into their intelligence, uh, not that they don't have it because they're usually extremely very smart. They just don't seem to perform well in a school atmosphere until they're about 13, 14, unless their their, uh, esteem is so low by then that they've seen themselves as a bad student and incapable of being a a straight-A student. So, you know, it it really affects their self-esteem if if they're in a classroom and if they perform poorly, especially over about a seven-year period. You know, the good news is they grow out of it. They grow out of it. The bad news is they grow into something else, and ADHD tends to find itself to be obsessive-compulsive disorder in adults and depression or one or the other. And the funny thing about it is they form rituals, and that's how they cope with life. They basically set up rituals that they have every single day, and they do those rituals to the T, and that's how they fill their day. They have certain things that they do all the time through the day, and that gives them comfort. That gives them a sense of control. And if you learn from that, 
you're going to find that an ADHD kid is going to respond to structure. But you want to be the one as the parent to set the structure because if you can set the structure, then the child is going to thrive. But if you don't set structure and if you're poor at that and you're inconsistent at it, the child is going to set their own structure and they're going to be upset with you for trying to implement rules on them randomly because they've already created the structure for you. That's how they, they, they feel comfort. That's how they perform well. They have, uh, it, you know, they'll just be free-range chickens without the, <laughs> the structure. You know, they got to get the energy out, and they will, and they will set that in their structure. You, as a parent, need to set structure in a way that they have time to get their yayas out, get their energy out, kind of let them, let them get it all out, and then get back on to task, especially if they're having to do homework. Every minute, and I'm serious, every minute of their day must be structured or they will eventually own it for you. Now, I will tell you also, I, I am one to believe in psychostimulants um, that is prescribed, obviously, by a psychiatrist. And a psychiatrist is not going to go very deep into the disorder itself. Therapy also helps so they understand what their behaviors are and why they have these behaviors. But basically what happens with the psychostimulant is is a stimulant, just a stimulant. It's not a big deal. Uh, They stimulate the basal ganglia, which is overactive. And by stimulating it, and this is what's between your eyebrows and the very front of your brain, and this little part of the brain is overstimulated. And if you give it stimulation, it will calm down, and then they're able to adapt and adjust and have a little bit normal more normal day and interact with the family and have a little bit better relationships. You know, without that, that basal ganglia is constantly busy and it's very hard for them to calm down. They have a lot of anxiety because of that. And there's also a really neat watch. It's called the Watchminder. There's a website, watchminder.com. There is a child psychologist in Orange County, California, uh, I believe he's in Irvine, uh, Dr. Larry Becker, who invented this ingenious watch. And it's about 69, 70 bucks, something like that. I'm, I'm not sure, but it's Watchminder. And I think it's the third version that he's on at this point. Watchminder. That is a watch where the parents program the structure into the watch. It vibrates, gives the child a message of what they should be doing at that time. And once they get that message, they basically look at the watch and they know what they're supposed to do. Therefore, while a child is out of your eyesight, out of your range of where you can influence them, the watch will do it for you. And that is an incredible thing. And once again, parents program that. Now, Without the structure to expect the child to do well in school, you've got to have that structure at home and the teacher also needs to have that. So when you're doing your individual education programs, you also need to integrate structure and consistency in their day. Now, anxiety and depression in children, and then we're moving to another topic, is prevalent and it always has been. This issue has much to do with the fact that children want power and time is their worst enemy. They don't know how to fill time. You know, bored people are boring, I always tell children, but the deal is they can get bored. And when they do, that leaves their mind to wander and they will uh, start making decisions. They'll begin feeling trapped. They, They feel alone, lonely, deeply sad. 
even in the best of homes, if they don't get some sort of simulation or something to do with their time. Something to do with their time is key for anxiety and depression. These are thought disorders with environmental influences and also their biologicals. That means they're genetic. Some people have it in them. Now, depression is shown in children as irritability. It is not always sadness. It is irritability in children. They can easily become destructive because negative attention is better than none at all. And many many parents attack what a child has done wrong rather than look for their intentions. This means using what and how questions, open questions to assist the children because you're attacking their process, not the negative thing that they did. And Children need to know that, that, that there's forgiveness. And that means, once again, I'm looking at your intentions. I'm not looking at what you did. I want to know what you were thinking. This is hard to diagnose, uh, you know, anxiety and depression. Also, because children are just moody. And, and then there's bipolar and, and all kinds of, you know, de- you know, manic depression. These children are very hard to, to find and, and to nail down as a problem. I will tell you that if a child is suicidal or cutting, there's a good chance that they have a very deep bipolar or manic type of depression because that's a manic activity. And, uh, you know, their emotional intelligence is not always the hottest. They can uh, rage, for instance, could just mean that they're tired. They just don't have a heavy, long emotional vocabulary. Some of these kids just use anger and, and, and very you know, temper tantrums and frustration to represent a whole lot of different emotions. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to uh, start talking about parenting Uh, for anxiety and depression, some uh, tools to use, and also uh, what happens when parents take drugs when they're pregnant. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
You are tuned in to Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary Bell or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. So, got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on the Email Host button on the Voice America page. Now, back to Absurd Psychology. Welcome back to Absurd Psychology. This is Dr. Gary Bell. We're talking about anxiety and depression. Let's talk about some of the, the symptoms that happen in anxiety and depression. Um, anger outbursts. Those are the big one. You will find that a lot of children that have a lot of anger outbursts that have to do with very small things, very simple things, um, that tends to show a, a kid that is moving into anxiety and depression. Chronic pain, they're clingy, decreased energy, digestive problems, stomach aches, helplessness, hopelessness, they fake illnesses, getting in trouble on a constant basis, Inability to concentrate, lacking the experience or pleasure or excitement during times they usually experience pleasure. So if they usually are engaged in something and now they're not, that's an indication that something's going on. You know, it's also the insomnia. Um, insomnia is huge or oversleeping can be huge as far as indicating that a kid is anxiety or depression. Also, memory loss, phobias. Uh, refusal to go to school, sulking, weight loss in a short ter- uh, short period of time. These are these are very strong symptoms and very strong indicators for children that depression is there. Now, sometimes that's the same for adults. However, with children, these are the main ones. And, you know, you're going to get a lot of answers from a depressed, anxious child. Uh, they the main answer they're going to give you is I don't know, and you can't not accept that as an answer. It is a non-answer. And the best thing I do when someone tells me I don't know is I say, well, what's your second guess? You know, what's your second choice? You know, you should punish a child. And I'm not trying to be, you know, rigorous here. But the deal is a child should know that I don't know is a disrespectful answer. They need to guess. They need to at least indicate because you've got to get the door open for them to talk to you. If they don't talk to you, you're going to have a hard time reading their mind and they've got to learn that in life they have to communicate about their problems. So accepting an I don't know from a child is not a good idea. And it's also a strong indicator that they're in some sense of you know, depression or anxiety. And I said this on a previous show and I'll say it again. Limbo. Limbo is where anxiety and depression lives. Limbo means there's a sense of inactivity, meaning their life is not going where they want it to go. They feel stuck. They feel trapped. So if you're examining what's going on with a child and trying to get to know what the problem is, the area to attack is the idea of stagnation. So, You know, once again, punishing for an I don't know is important. Taking something away, giving them an earlier bedtime, force them to talk to you. Also, you've got to manage a child's expectations and turn them into preferences. Children will communicate in a way that they think they basically run the house. They basically run everything. And they hear that from their parents, by the way. It's not like they just 
invented it, they hear it because they get a lot of, I'm making the choice for you. So they mirror that back to parents. So the best thing you can do is teach them the word preferences. What would you prefer? I'm not going to necessarily give you what you want or what you expect, but I'd like to know what you prefer. That means that they have an option to speak and there is a chance they may get what they want or there may be a chance they don't. However, it leaves the door open and that's very important. You know, giving a child options, especially moving into the teenage years, is very important. You have the option to fail and you have the option to succeed. You have the option to do nothing. But here's the deal. If you do well and you follow your behavior, here's the reward. If you do the bad thing, here's the punishment. But it's your choice. You have the option to fail. Giving a child that means they have nothing to rebel against. Now, also, seeking their advice and input. This is important. When you seek a child's advice in all kinds of ways, and I'm not talking about relationship problems between husband and wife. I'm talking about thoughts, ideas, just things you're thinking about. These are important, not not gossip, not destructive things. I'm talking about thoughts and input about things that are going on, even just reading the newspaper and asking what they think. This makes them feel like an adult. It makes them feel like they're moving to a new phase in life. You know, also taking action towards helping around, you know, what they feel helpless about. If they feel stagnant or helpless in an area, try to help them. Step in, you know, if, if they have a lot of dormant time or if they feel like they're bored or if they're getting out of shape, you know, child diabetes is enormous these days. Get them into, you know, karate, get them into an activity, you know, get them into something that's going to teach them to use their body. Even yoga. Yoga can be great, especially with children. And there are studios that teach children. It's a great thing and it helps them control their their thought process. Exercise. So many kids don't exercise these days. They've got to get out and get off their butts and exercise. If you don't do that, you're basically going to invent a very lazy couch potato. And that's your own fault as a parent. You've got to get them busy. Mindfulness and living in the moment, meaning that they enjoy what they have, not what they don't have. Enjoy what you have. Learn to use toys differently. Use to learn to play games differently. Learn to have fun. Teach other children. Teach other people. By empowering them, that gets them into the moment and they stop focusing on what they don't have. And also entrusting them and praising them. You know, medication uh, for anxiety and depression can help. Um, however, it's, it's not necessarily the best way, but some depression is pervasive and it is good to seek help from a psychiatrist. Also getting them new friends and, and providing structure, a framework for the day so they know that, okay, at four o'clock or at five o'clock, I've got this activity. If they have something to look forward to, they don't have a tendency to be as depressed. Now, there's another anxiety, it's called separation anxiety, and it can begin before one year old. And this interferes with friendships, schools, activities, even family. And that is the separation from either an object or a parent or a person. And so what's important about separation anxiety is practice separation in short periods with another caregiver with things to do and let them know what's going to happen and when and what they'll be doing and when you're going to be back. Make sure to schedule separations after naps or feedings, and they tend to be more peaceful when they're not tired or hungry. Make also new surroundings familiar. If they're not able 
bring a familiar object. You know, if you can't take them into a new, new place, bring an object to them so they begin to understand. Introduce them to a camp, for instance, that if you're going to have them in a camp, introduce them to it before you take them to it at a different time. Also, you want to develop a goodbye ritual, uh, a special wave, a goodbye kiss. You know, not a big deal, not a Broadway production, but it's something that, that, that happens and they know that you're gone at the min- end of that activity. Also, having consistent caregivers or adults interacting with the child is very help- helpful. No scary television. Once again, structure. And you have to know how to say no. They have to understand boundaries. And you do not need to make no such a dramatic thing. Make it simple and easy and straightforward. Now, there's another issue in this day and age, and, and it's always been around, but, you know, methamphetamines, cocaine, heroin, many more drugs, if taken during pregnancy, can manifest children of all kinds of symptoms that look like mental disorders that are in the DSM-IV, the Diagnostic Manual for Mental Health. And the problem is that they're not those diagnoses. It is organic brain damage caused by the mother who takes in the drug during pregnancy, usually during the first trimester when they don't even know they're pregnant. And basically while the the baby's brain is developing, because the baby's brain has to, the fetus has to develop the brain first for it to develop all the other organs and for them to function. So the deal is the brain is the, uh, the softest tissue in your body. And it's also the first organ to be developed in a child. So when a parent is taking acidic drugs like methamphetamine and cocaine, heroin, even marijuana. Marijuana lives in fat. And so basically, it'll stay in the system for 30 days. You can't tell me that doesn't cause damage to a child. Uh, Also, smoking does the same thing. Alcohol does the same thing. The deal is those little brains get pockets of the, the brain that don't form properly. And guess what happens? Mental diagnoses, they get, they get diagnosed with them during their lifetime. Unfortunately, the drugs that are manif- manifested for mental diagnoses don't work for these children. They simply are left with an organic brain disorder that they will have their whole life. And so, you know, people that are taking drugs and having children, you know, shame on you. It's, it's just something that you should not be doing. If you're active in your sex life and you're not protecting yourself and you're not trying to prevent uh, getting pregnant and you're taking drugs, shame on you. You know, that's disgusting. It, it's, you're basically causing damage to your own child. Now, um, people taking drugs, drinking, smoking during pregnancy, while, you know, children are being born, being developed, is common. And it's very important that if you're going to take, take your child to a uh, therapist or a doctor, that you let them know honestly whether you took drugs during the pregnancy, the, you know, during the pregnancy, because the doctor needs to understand what they're working with because it affects the way that they form their treatment strategy. You know, and, and so being honest and again, when you're seeking help is extremely important because then they can form the right kind of treatment to help your child. Now, oppositional defiant disorder is another disorder that is basically they're an oppositional deviant. They don't like adults telling them what to do. They have frequent temper tantrums, uh, questioning rules, deliberate attempts to annoy or upset people. They blame others for mistakes or misbehavior. They're touchy or easily annoyed. They're mean. 
hateful talking when they're upset, their spiteful attitude, and they seek revenge. Oppositional defiance uh, is something that basically comes around. These, these children want power. They, they have very low self-esteem. And they don't think much of themselves, and it may have to do with they haven't felt a lot of love in their life. And so what they do is they, they create negative attention, and they learn to make that a way of life. Oppositional defiant children are frequently bullies, and uh, they use that to, to basically feel like they have control of other people. Now, once again, we talk about the bully theory. The best thing you could possibly do is not be a squeaky toy. If you want to be a squeaky toy, the bully is going to go after you. If you're not a squeaky toy, they're going to get bored. They're going to move on to another target. You know, the deal is without anger, being assertive and being strong, speak to what you want from this child. And basically, they're going to be forced to listen to you, but not emotionally. Don't, if you're going to raise your voice and start screaming and do a lot of temper tantrums back at an oppositional defiant child, they're not going to listen to you. You want to stay calm, straightforward, and to the point. Don't get emotionally engaged with them because you're in their playground when you do that. Be clear and consistent with your punishment. Develop what's called a behavior contract. If you do this, then here's the consequence. If you're going to talk back, here's the consequence. If you're going to annoy and upset people, here's your consequence. I don't want there to be any surprises. Now, I have behavioral contracts on my website, www.drgbmft.com. You know, don't take th- things personal from these children. Once again, they're, they're just attention-getting activities. Don't power struggle with them. You know, stay on point and be calm. Give them one, two, three counts. One, I'm a, I need you to stop this activity, whatever you're doing, this temper tantrum. Two, and when I get to three, you're going to lose this. And three. So, so that's how you kind of want to work with an oppositional defiant child. You want to teach them how to communicate calmly. Now, conduct disorder is an environmental problem. Many cases, these are children that uh, they had parents with drug and alcohol abuse. They usually have high family conflict. They have genetic defects and they live in poverty. These children tend to break rules with no reason. And they don't necessarily live in poverty, by the way. They can live in quite well and have a lot of resources, but they just don't get a lot of attention or they have a high conflict family. They, they break rules for no reason. These are cruel and aggressive to people and animals. Uh, they don't generally go to school. They usually are heavy drinking and drug use. They're loyalty-based, which loyalty is one of the dumbest things you could possibly do in this life. People that are loyal join gangs and are loyal to gangs and do stupid things. You know, intentionally setting fires, lying, running away, vandalism are some of the other symptoms. And, and parents have to get involved when you have a child in treatment, psychological treatment for a conduct disorder. They are part of the problem. They are not engaged with their child enough or they're not engaging them properly enough for them to, the child to change their behavior. Unfortunately, you know, moving them to a new environment is not going to necessarily change their conduct disorder. So behavior modification is usually the best treatment. That means they're placed in a highly structured earn rewards and take away environment. It's hard to implement this with parents who have been immature turds. However, they can be treated. A lot of these kids end up in group homes needing 24-hour supervision, which is ridiculous. 
parents can do this, but they have to be dedicated and they have to be hardcore. And that doesn't mean mean. That means they have to have a lot of structure. And once again, here's the rewards for the good behavior. Here's the takeaway for the bad behavior. These kids don't negotiate. Give them lots of positive regard and focus on accomplishments. Um, you know, that especially things and things to do that they don't have to have a regular education to do. If they do something well, clean the bathroom or whatever, praise them. But you want to do a lot of skill building with them. You know, being looked at socially as a good person. This is something we want them to see themselves as a good person. You know, they may not have talent educationally, but that doesn't mean they can't learn a skill. And some of them are highly intelligent, but they're just not there yet. And so we want to praise them when they learn. Also, we want to teach them respect, listening, faith, compassion, love. These are all foreign to these children, but when we teach them and they do things that help them, that is enormous for these kind of kids. Now, here's another disorder that I'm going to talk about. It's called autism. And uh, we're going to go into this in the next segment. This is a spectrum disorder. That means that it comes in all kinds of flavors. And uh, so there's kids that are highly severe autistic and there's kids that are just barely noticeable. But they're all autism and we'll go into that in the next one. So please come back and let's listen to, let's listen to this autism stuff because this is important. There's a lot of diagnoses going on around there about autism. You need to learn about it. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary Bell or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough. But if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. So, got a pen? 
The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on the email host button on the Voice America page. Now, back to Absurd Psychology. Welcome back to Absurd Psychology. This is Dr. Gary Bell. We're going to talk about autism spectrum disorder. Autism is a very strongly uh, diagnosed diagnosis, excuse me, this day and age. A lot of people are diagnosed with autism this day and age more than ever before. It's highly recognizable and they've realized that it comes in so many different versions. There's so many different symptoms to it. I'm going to try to give you some red flags of what they are, but what autism spectrum disorders are is they severely impact and and a child. They severely impact the learning, the thinking, the emotional intelligence, the problem solving. And they can be very talented and gifted in one area or two areas, but then they can also be severely challenged in others. Autism begins before age three and it lasts throughout a person's life. It is a organic disorder. That means it's in the brain. It's not going to be able to be changed. It has to be coped with. And it's not healable in this today's world. That doesn't mean it won't be down the road because there's a lot of theories and there's a lot of work, especially in Australia. They're doing enormous amount of work in the universities in Australia on autism. But uh, nearly 80 to 90% are recognized as having uh, autism in children before age two. That's 80 to 90% recognized before age two. Now, here's some red flags. You know, they, they may not respond to their name before 12 months old. Uh, they don't point at objects or show interest for, you know, before 14 months. They cannot play pretend games. They avoid eye contact. They have trouble understanding people's feelings or talking about theirs. They have delayed speech and language skills, repeat words and phrases over and over again. They give unrelated answers to questions, get upset by minor changes. Once again, these are symptoms. That doesn't mean a child's going to have all of these. They're going to have some of these. Um, they, they flap their hands. They may rock their body or spin in circles on a constant basis. They, they have unusual reactions to the things that they smell, the sounds, taste, look, or feel. These children have trouble at very loud uh, forums like a, a, a sports event or a movie. Um, you know, they, they don't res- rock concert. They're not going to respond well to all that noise. Uh, they usually get overstimulated and they'll begin doing, uh, have in- inappropriate facial expressions or flapping their hands. Also, uh, Another thing that indicates autism is if they like to line their toys up or they don't play with toys the way that they're designed. Um, They like parts of objects. They don't necessarily like a certain toy. They just like a certain part of a toy. Um, They seem to also lack fear or more fear for the unexpected. If something happens uh, on the unexpected, their fear is outrageous. Um, they have unusual eating or sleeping habits. They have a very short attention span, temper tantrums, and they sometimes cause self-injury and they're very impulsive. So th- those are some of the symptoms that covers autism and it, it's, it is such a complex disorder. They do develop autistic children, but they do it at their own pace. 
And one must understand the symptoms and understand that they are coping skills. Don't take them personally, the things they do. You have to understand this is how they cope with life. All those symptoms that I just described are coping skills. And you don't want to take those away without giving them another way to cope. You know, as they're doing self-injury and there's something else that they could do like drawing or listening to a song or watching the same TV show over and over and over again, that's an activity that is much safer. That's what you want to give them as an alternative. You know, um, there's... 1998, Dr. Andrew Wakefield and colleagues in England hypothesized that the MMR, uh, measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine caused autism in infants and toddlers. Now, this hypothesis was very loosely arrived at and has been debunked even after Dr. Wakefield presented further studies in 2002. Unfortunately, his work was very destructive and this caused a storm of controversy around vaccinations and children of autism. I would certainly not tell anyone what to do in this matter. I'm not a medical doctor. However, I encourage all of you to look at the extensive and thorough work done at the University of Sydney in Australia. Their medical research is one of the most progressive on autism. A few years ago, they suspected that the brain actually could keep a virus alive while the body disposed of it. They even debunked their own theory of that. The deal is these vaccinations remain uh, unsettled. The, The idea that the vaccines cause autism I'm not so sure I believe in that. And believe me, I have a five-month-old and we take our time with the shots. We spread them out. But I'm not going to avoid the shots because the shots themselves are going to eventually uh, protect the child. And and we're certainly not going to do that. They do more good than harm. Uh, But if we get all paranoid and freaky about vaccines, I think what you're going to find is you not only have an autistic child, but you have a sick child on your hands. And that could be very dangerous and sad. Now, parenting autistic children, here's, here's what may help. Use alternative stimulation. If the child is upset over, you know, I don't want this to eat. But I can't stand that. And they get on their little tirade about that. What you want to do is provide a different stimulation. Turn the radio on, turn on a song, turn a TV show on that they like. Use a different stimulation to get their attention. They tend to lock in on one stimulation, sight, sound, touch, smell. So if whatever they're locked in on, you want to find a different one to get their attention. And that is how you get these kids off of their obsessions. You know, you know I have a client that, that loved Baz and with when he would lock in on a temper tantrum, his mom would turn on music he loved in the bathroom and he would turn, she would turn on the bath and voila, no more tantrum and he was back on track. So, you know, basically they just need an alternative and a lot of parents get focused on, no, you can't have this. No, you can't have, and they keep responding to what they're obsessed on. That's never going to stop them. It's just going to go on and on and on and drive you crazy and them crazy also. You got to schedule every minute of their day. And this goes for every kid. I'm sorry. But if you don't schedule their time, and that includes leisure time and play time, they, they basically get crazy. But these autistic kids, if they don't have a schedule, they don't feel like you love them. They need to know you're there even when you're not there. And you being there is by having set a structure that they follow. Then they always feel like you're present. And um, have objects 
for them to meet what they're capable of. If, if they're incapable, and let's say they're seven years old and they're incapable of playing with a seven-year-old toy or a seven-year-old game, give them a game that they are capable of. Give them an activity that they do well. Don't give them stuff that challenges them so much that failure is in the way. They need to be able to build their confidence and feel normal. So you start where they're at and you try to build slowly towards something stronger and more intelligent. And that will, they will grow with that. They do learn well in some things. You know, give them choices. You always want to give them choices of good and bad behaviors with rewards and consequences. These kids are black and white thinkers. That means you're either all evil or you're all good. And if you're mom, you could be either all evil or all good, depending on what's going on in the moment. And so, once again, we have to play with the gray area of getting them backed by hitting them with a different stimulation. Give them lots of positive regard and compliments to encourage them and build their skills. These kids are usually very unemotional and detached from other children. They, they like to talk about things and activities and things that they're obsessed about, but other kids get bored with that because it's like, wow, that's all you ever talk about. It's, you know, they just can't take it. So the deal is they, they don't have a strong friendship life. But if you teach them about positive regard and how to be looked at positively and how to be positive to other children, they may not feel positive towards other children, but if they learn the behavior, it buys them more social uh, interactions. And that's what these kids get depleted of. Um, negative criticism uh, can make them turn to self-harm, sleep disturbance, and turn them into uh, whoever is saying bad things about them is evil. They get very obsessed with negative attention. So you don't want to parent them necessarily on negative attention. You want to, if you're going to give them a negative, give them a positive and a negative and then a positive. So that would look like this. You were awesome this morning. Uh, I needed to make sure that you brushed your teeth, but you didn't. However, I know that you usually brush your teeth. You know, so give them a positive, give them a negative, and give them a positive. That's called the sandwiching technique. Now, let's go into ticks. Ticks are often a concern for parents, but, you know, children experience ticks often in motor movement and vocally. Motor movement and vocally. Often they're short-lasting and repeat during somewhat normal behavior, and stress is usually the main instigator of ticks. And the reason I bring this up is because a lot of kids have ticks throughout childhood. However, most of the time, these are caused by medication or just growing pains, and uh, they're not... You know, there, there is some genetic component in it. However, it, it, it's believed that they increase or decrease generationally after generation, depending on, you know, the chromosomal makeup of their family history. However, most ticks are floating for children. I, I would not be hyper-concerned if your child has a tick for a short period of time. Usually, they move from one thing to another to another to another, and then they grow out of it. Um, I've seen ticks quite often in children and uh, once again, it's usually a stress-based tick that will go away. Now, some of the ticks are physical, like nose wrinkling, head twitching, eye blinking, lip biting, facial grimace, touching, kicking, jumping. Some kids have vocal tics like coughing, grunting, throat clearing, sniffing, barking, and hissing. You know, and there's others. And these are considered involuntary movements, and nearly 25% of all children experience these kind of ticks at some time, and the vast majority of all ticks go away. 
Usually it is an indicator of the need for a lifestyle change causing ill health, a lack of uh, uh, sleep or stress. And if it lasts less than three months or moves on to another tick, it should not be a big concern. Twitches are usually isolated occurrences and they're considered to be misfiring of, of, of brain cells in basically a one or other area of the brain. Now, there's another disorder called Tourette's and it is a big concern for many when they see childhood tics. It is often first seen and diagnosed as ADHD and obsessive compulsive disorder. These children and adults have multiple motor and vocal tics, not just one, but multiple. And they've had them for at least a year and it's progressive. It just keeps getting worse. And it happens off and on nearly every day. And these tics, for, for Tourette's disorder to be diagnosed, it had to begin before they're 18 years old. And it must be not caused by medicine or medical condition. The vast majority of Tourette's syndrome is mild. And males are seen as having Tourette's three times more than females. And uh, they also live productive lives. There's medication for these things. And these are stress disorders, by the way. Tourette's is genetic. However, it's also got the component of stress. All tics are caused by stress. So when you treat what's causing the stress, you're treating the tics, they're calming down. There's also other disorders that we should talk about. One is schizophrenia. You know, there is schizophrenia in childhood. However, in boys, most often, it blooms around 18 years old. In women, most often, schizophrenia is in full bloom at 28 years old. Schizophrenia is progressive genetic disorder, and it can skip generations, and it's hard to track. However, there are links to severe depression and bipolar in many families with schizophrenia. So that means that relatives have had bipolar or mania, and uh, it's bloomed into schizophrenia sometimes in you know, one or two generations ahead. Uh, Schizophrenia is a very complex diagnosis and uh, we'll go into that maybe more on a later date. Now here's things parents do not want to admit. You think playing with your child is really boring, ignoring the papers they send home from school, letting the TV be your child's babysitter, giving them food you would never eat yourself. Letting them go days without vegetables. Your child to wear uh, small shoes and clothes way too long. Being the last to pick your child up at daycare. And here's another thing that parents don't want to admit, but it happens that your boobs will leak when any baby cries, just not just yours. Now, here's some things we're going to talk about in later shows and the next show we're going to have is going to be about divorce and step parenting the joy of thankless living this is an extremely important show because divorce is pervasive in our society it's a growing epidemic and also step parenting is very complex and a very difficult both of these together are highly difficult processes divorce especially for children and step pairing, especially for children and adults. I'm going to give tools on both sides of it. Also, we're going to talk about crisis intervention and wellness with Dr. Nancy Bowl and personality disorders. Can't you find a UFO to haul your ass back home? And then the most optimistic suicide, death and grieving the art of living miserably. That's our show. Thank you everyone for listening. I love to hear from you and get your feedback. At Twitter, my address is at DRGBMFT. Now remember, having a two-year-old is kind of like having a blender, but you don't have a top for it. 
That's from Jerry Seinfeld. Thank you for joining everybody. Have a great day. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world. And that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Monday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. (laughs) 